Hey, church family. Um, good to be with you all today. Um, you know, one of the things that has been happening as we see just the, the, the consciousness of, our, uh, of, this, of, of, of folks around us awaken to the injustices and the prejudices that exist in this country. That has been great and beautiful to see. Um, but I also believe this is an opportunity for us, for the body of Christ, to kind of rise above the fray and lead in the way of justice and, in, and, and truth and lead people um, to, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, at the same time, as we, as the church, are uh, trying to lead the way, I'm also worried that um, many of us might find uh, that, that actually in this country, we might find it littered with hate and bitterness and anger and division. I'm worried that um, even as we come out on the other side of this, whenever that will be, you know, that we will be tired and exhausted and debilitated. Um, so my hope, though, is as we continue to live in this pandemic, as we live through the economic uncertainty, as we continue to pursue justice, um, my hope is that we, what is abundantly clear is that we know where our eternal source of help comes from. We know where we get our strength from, and we get that from, uh, from the Lord, as it says in Psalm 121. And this is one of the reasons we're beginning this sermon series um, called Living Apart. Gospel promises social distancing cannot steal. As we'll be looking and studying the letter written uh, by Paul to the Philippian church, um, I want us to gain a, a, a thorough understanding of the hope that we have in the gospel and how it changes the way we live. Now, we might not be together. We might be still practice, practicing social distancing, and I hope we all are. But we still have access to the same hope that Paul and the Philippian church, as we will see, um, shared to us. Today, though, we'll be looking at the book of Acts, uh, specifically chapter 16, because that is where this, the, the Philippian church started. Uh, Paul began this journey to, to Philippi, which was a Roman, Roman colony, to share the gospel. And, one of, and as he got there, he met some opposition. As, you, as we read earlier, he was imprisoned. But before he was imprisoned, he was able to actually share the gospel to a couple of folks. Lydia, um, who was a businesswoman, she, she and her family and her household got, became um, um, believers. Um, a couple of other people actually became be believers as well. But at the same time, as Paul was actually on his mission, he, he, he encountered some opposition that led to his imprisonment. And this is where we find him imprisoned after he had just experienced this wonderful encounter with God and, and with people encountering God. All of a sudden, he finds himself in prison. It's almost like when it was in January. Who, you remember January of this year? It was amazing. It was beautiful. The year looked amazing. We had so many dreams and hopes. And all of a sudden, March came and we we're all, you know, 
all at home and confused and stuck, I mean, imprisoned, really. And this is where Paul finds himself in jail, imprisoned, um, almost in this impossible situation. But if you look at the way he responds in jail, I believe that actually can help us in how we respond to our current situation. Said that while they were in prison, that they prayed about midnight, Paul and Silas began praying and singing hymns to God. They sang it so loud that the other prisoners could hear them sing and pray. And I think this is important for us, even as we find ourselves, again, living through this uncertain situation, as we find ourselves protesting against the injustice. I believe that our first response in times like these is to respond in prayer. Prayer ought to be our first respond, response. Because it turns our attention away from, from the, the impossible circumstance. It turns our attention away from, from the situation we might find ourselves in. And it, it turns our attention to God who is able to make the impossible possible. It turns our powerless situation to God who has the power to change our situation. And this is exactly what Paul and Silas did. They prayed and they sang right there in the middle of the night in prison. But, you know, let's be honest for a second. Let's be real for a second. I think prayer often is the last way or the last thing we do to respond, especially in situations like this. You know, we panic, we... We, 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 we call our friends, we, we, you know, we hoard food or whatever we do, and then all of a sudden prayer is probably the last thing we think about doing. And you know, for, why is that the case often? I think often the case is because it's, it's, it's a chore. It's, it's, it's tiring often, it's boring. It requires energy and time for us to give. Um, all hells be. He, he, he puts it like this. He says, the first and decisive battle in conjunction with prayer is the conflict which arises when we're, we are to make arrangements to be with God um, every day. He's saying this, the hard part is actually making the arrangements, making that effort to consciously be with God every day. It's hard. It's difficult. And again, what we can see from the way Paul and Silas responded, it ought to be our first response. You know, one of the things that I've, I've found um, beautiful, puzzling, interesting is just, um, again, just like how a, a lot of folks have become aware of just the racial bias and prejudices that exist in our country 
and it's it's beautiful but it's, it's also part of my oh wow all of a sudden you know everyone now knows <laughs> you know it's like how did that but it's just like wow that's that's great that's cool by the same time at least for me and honestly a lot of black folks in our country is this collective awareness has brought about this reopening of old wounds, old traumas that folks that have had to endure in the past, um, the lifetime of overt, covert messages that um, have been demeaning um, because, uh, because of the color of your skin, the, the video footage of, of, of seeing uh, race, uh, racism and police brutality right in front of your screens. Screens is just, again, a reminder of, oh, this is the way I'm, suppo I'm supposed to act a certain way whenever I'm pulled over by the police. I have to remind myself, I have to make sure I'm acting this certain way. So it's, it's kind of opened up old wounds, traumas, um, um, that I myself have experienced before. And in that way, I, I'm trying to figure out, and yeah, so, yeah, so for me, it's my response is just to hide, to be sad and, and maybe sometimes not even process what I'm feeling, but just be sad. For some other folks, you, you, you might, if you're not a person of color, you might be experiencing that. You're wondering like, how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to say? How much did I say? And there's this dance and exhaustion that we all are experiencing. We all are finding ourselves in right now. But with prayer as our first response, if prayer is our first response, it actually guides our subsequent actions. It helps us in the way we are, we, we are to respond to each other, right? Because in, a word, in, in our world, we're inundated with, with um, just the social media feeds, breaking news, uh, our to-do list, and all the things we, 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 we often consume, the levels of information we consume, and we are left paralyzed. But if prayer can be that first response, then it can actually guide our subsequent response. It can give us the lens through which we can take this fight for justice, gives us the lens through which we can actually reach out to each other and love one another. It is not rushed. It is not hurried. We can respond in faith, hope, and in love. It moves us from apathy to empathy, from silence to action, from denial to awareness. Prayer guides us to respond in righteous indignation. I think about even Jesus as he himself found, as he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he found himself in that prison on that Sunday night in the dungeon, feeling stuck, feeling, um, feeling uh, 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 left out. And one of his, his response was to pray, right? That was his, 
His first response was to pray and to seek God. I remember um, uh, a couple of years ago now, going to Israel with my seminary professor. And uh, one of the most um, uh, amazing sights he took, took us um, was, the, um, was to a dungeon in Jerusalem. And it was, it was a prison, and it was, it was, it, um, was a prison that was used um, back in the first century. Um, so it's probably similar to the prison Jesus was in at that time. But we were all packed into this small dungeon. And he, he um, read to us Psalm 88, um, one of the most heart-wrenching psalms in the Bible. <clears throat> and just broke our hearts as we were able to just experience, oh, I mean, just a, a, a sliver of the pain Christ was experiencing. I'll read some of the verses here. Verse 4 of 88. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. And then verse 18, the last verse, it says, You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. You know, so often... Our prayers, so often the, the, the experiences that we expect from church are uh, emotional highs and um, ecstatic experiences that we want. Yet when we, we come, here's the thing, the beauty of coming to God in our prayers, in our weaknesses, with our doubts, with our tears, with our frustrations is that we are actually able to connect to God even deeper, uh, much deeply. Has, has Christ himself experienced that same weakness and that same powerlessness? Is that, here's the thing, is that when we are able to bring the powerlessness of ourselves, then there's room for us to actually experience the power of God in our lives. When we're able to humble ourselves and the weaknesses that we're experiencing and the frustrations and the tears that we are we, we, we are, we are uh, shedding that we can actually come and now experience the power of God. So that's prayer as our first response. And second and lastly, prayer is the ultimate protest. It's not only our, our first response, but it's actually the ultimate protest. When Paul and Silas were praying, they were making their protest known to the God of the universe. When they were praying and singing, they were actually protesting to the creator of the universe. This is what prayer is. We're not just making sheepy or sheepish uh, mumblings to empty air. No, we're actually praying to the God who brought us into existence. That's why Karl Barth says this. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of uprising. It's the beginning of uprising against the, the disorder of this world. 
that when we pray, we are actually protesting to God and beginning, we're starting an uprising against the, the disorder, the chaos of our world. You know this already. Whenever, for example, if your internet is not working and you've tried everything you can to get it back to, 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 to place and you call Verizon, for example, and you're trying to get them to fix it and they're, trying, they're telling you to test all the things you've tested and you're telling them, I've done all that already. Please take me. Just let me talk to your supervisor. Let me talk to someone that can actually help me. You are protesting to the higher authority because you want to get stuff done. You want, you, you want to get your stuff fixed. And this is exactly what we're doing. As we are praying and pro, we are protest, protesting to a higher authority that can actually get some stuff done. So prayer is our ultimate protest. And, let's remember, and you know, again, it's beautiful that we are protesting. It's beautiful that people are out there protesting against injustice. That's great. But remember, the ultimate protest we have in our arsenal is our prayer to God. Because He is the one that has the power um, to fix and right every wrong. To bring back order in our disorder. He is the one that can actually do that for us. You know, one of the important things even now, as we are coming and expressing our prayers and our frustrations to God, we are protesting. One of the important things about this is that as we are doing that, as we are connecting to God, that he is building in us a love and empathy for people around us because one of the things that could potentially happen as we find ourselves in this in this space is that we can build up hatred and bitterness against people that might disagree with us we might build up um, anger and disdain for folks around us that are just not getting it and that's not the way we sh- it should be because look, look here in, in um, let me find it again. Look here in, in Acts 16. First, I mean, one of the first things that happen is, is um, God actually answers their prayer. Paul and Silas, as they prayed, because they were released um, from the, 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 the shackles, they were, the, the doors were open to them. But then the, the jailer who represents in this, in this story, really the oppressor, the jailer who's here sees this. He sees the gates are open. He sees their chains are, are, are broken. And his response was to kill himself because he knew that if, because he thought the, the prisoners were gone and his, he might as well be dead. And Paul says, no. Honestly, I wonder for, for a lot of us if the people that we, 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 we are so angry about, if we see them about to uh, kill themselves, we, we, would we stop them or would we be like, oh yeah, go ahead, do it, sure. 
But here's the thing, as we are connected with God, connected to God through prayer, through worship, we can actually be connected to his heart, to his love for all people, sinners, saints, all people. And look, look what happened here. As he was about to kill himself, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We're here. Don't harm yourself. Then the jailer called for the lights and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in Jesus, the Lord, and you will be saved and you and all of your household. My friends, this is ultimately what it's about. That as we live lives connected to Jesus, that we are also connecting others around us to Jesus. That we, as well as we connect to God, that we become the, the, the conduit through which people can now connect to God. And now the jailer comes, invites them to his household. Um, and it, it says in verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and his household were baptized. So there's this coming together, the oppressor. Now, uh, the, the, now the, you know, God through his power levels the playing field. Paul introduces the gospel to them. The jailer, the oppressor before now. Um, dresses their wounds and cares for them in his house. And this, my friends, again, is what, what happens as we are connected to God through prayer, through worship, that we can now be connected to his heart. Uh, our first response in prayer guard, guard, um, guards us and guides us in the way of Jesus. So that as we uh, make, again, our protest to him and we make our protest here horizontally, we're doing that with love, with respect for those who may not agree with our views. So my friends, again, I pray that and I hope that, um, that our connection to God through prayer becomes our first response. 